Well, good morning, Pine Lake Covenant Church. This morning we are entering officially into our season of Lent. Lent is a common practice in some Christian circles. It's a lot like Advent. It is a time of preparing. It is 40 days. It parallels Jesus' 40 days of testing in the wilderness. It starts with Ash Wednesday, and we have this beautiful service on Wednesday, and it ends in Easter. It is marking a journey of preparation and solemnity where we not only contemplate Jesus' death, but our own. Walter Wangerin writes, he says, whenever the journey of Easter begins, it must always begin right here at the contemplation of my death in the cold conviction that I shall die. Welcome to Pine Lake Covenant. (laughs) But this is the journey we are on. Invite you to come with. In the final hours of his earthly time as Jesus was dying, he gave seven last words from the cross. Now, last words can be very revealing And Jesus' last words of forgiveness and salvation, relationship, abandonment, distress, triumph, and reunion will enable us to look into eternity and see the heart of God in new ways this season that maybe we haven't before. These are the themes that we will be following in the next seven Sundays, six Sundays. So today, as we look at Jesus' last words, we are going to enter into a story of forgiveness and salvation. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for what you have done for us and saving us and sending your son to die for us. Jesus, we thank you that we can now come into this season where we are meditating and we are um, just centering ourselves on the greatest gift ever given of your, your life for our life. God, we thank you. We praise you. I pray that these words are your words and they reach our hearts, transform our lives, Lord God, and us as a whole body in this community. In your name, Jesus, amen. Uh, We love stories. Stories, they shape our world and they enhance our ability to wonder. They help us empathize and they create like emotional connections. They Stories expand our views and offer us imaginative pathways. And maybe if you're like me, when you enter a story and you're reading a good story, you actually want to enter that story. Right? Like I close my eyes and I pretend that I am in it. And I find myself in the story. And my daughter is very much the same way. And for most of her younger years, she was either Hermione Granger, a mermaid, or Jack Sparrow, or actually all three at once, which is tricky, but it can be done with great talent like Annabelle has. (laughs) Um, She had an imaginary friend named Jasmine that came with us wherever we went. Now, sometimes Jasmine wouldn't make it into the car in time, though, and we were driving and then suddenly instructed, Mom, pull over, pull over, Jasmine isn't here, and we had to pull over and open the door for Jasmine to get in. Now, every now and then, I would accidentally sit on Jasmine as I sat down on the couch, and then Annabelle, little Annabelle, would break into tears. I'm like, honestly, Anna, I didn't know she was there. (laughs) I wouldn't have sat on her. But raising young Annabelle brought me into wild journeys. Still does, as a teenager. But she always had a part for me to play in a story. She says, you be the Viking. And hopefully not like the Kirk Douglas kind of Viking, right? Am I right? She goes, anyone else seen that horrible movie? Okay. ADD, okay, focus. You be the Viking, she says, and I'll be the dragon. And then we are off on some crazy adventure through like these forests inhabited by light-breathing fairies and rain that falls upward from the sky. And the story always was about battling 
evil together. This tends to be the constant, does it not, for all of the epic stories that we enter into. Lucy and Edmund and Peter and Susan, they walk through the wardrobe and battle evil. Frodo leaves the Shire and discovers a world beyond and battles evil. Harry Potter answers the invitation from the owl and battles evil. Luke Skywalker leaves the farm and battles evil. Bella falls in love with the vampire and I think, I don't really know what was going on there, (laughs) but it's complicated. In all these stories, behind the stories, there is this battle, a drama, a world where there is war, where there's light versus dark and good versus evil. And friends, as we begin Lent and we enter the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, this true story, this real life drama is no different. And Jesus is overcoming evil. And his words we are looking at today, we see a divine battle against sin and death and against the devil, our enemy. A divine battle that he wins. Let's start by looking at Two of the last messages from Jesus from the cross this morning from Luke. Turn to chapter 23 in your Bibles or your phones, and I'll know if you're actually playing Candy Crush. So, (laughs) all right, I won't actually, no. Um, Before this, Jesus had been unjustly accused, brought to court, condemned to die, beaten and nailed to a cross. And on Luke 2333, he continues. He says, when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, Luke is sparring in his details here. He simply writes, there they crucified him. No flair. No descriptive words around this event. Nothing to detract from the fact of it. It's not about the pain, though it is horrendous. It is not about the injustice of what is happening, though it is manifestly unjust. Right now, Luke just says, this is the fact of it. Jesus is giving up his life. There, they crucified him. All his life has led him to this death. And now the time has come. And he is crucified. And it is here on the cross that Jesus was doing his last and greatest work, battling against evil and dying for the sins of the world. Now, if your translations say, Father, or Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, it is correct. The Greek here is an ongoing action. He was saying this over and over and over again. Father, forgive them. Oh, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. When the nails went into his hands, he prayed, Father, forgive them. As he was joltingly dropped into the hole, he was praying, Father, forgive them. As the people mocked him, he was praying over, Father, forgive them. Forgive, forgive. As the blood of his sacrifice begins to flow, Jesus, the great high priest, begins to intercede over and over and over again. Father, forgive. I want to look at just those two words for right now. And actually, just let's look at the word Father. In his time of trial and anguish and abandonment, Jesus turns to God, his Father. He can only say, forgive them, because he starts with the Father. 
The heart of the father is a forgiving heart. The father loves, the father cares, the father forgives. In fact, Jesus is, or God's own self-description is, I am slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. Forgiveness is mentioned 40 times in the New Testament alone. And Jesus talked and he preached about forgiveness continually. And Jesus knows, friends, that his father is the one who, like in the story of the prodigal son, he seeks after the lost and he hopes for their return and he goes and gets them. He runs to his children with lavish forgiveness and grace. The father's heart beats, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. So in this hour, Jesus turns to the Father, knowing who God is, and seeks forgiveness from his enemies from the heart of God. One of our students poloed me. Now that's Marco Polo, for those of you who don't know. See how hip and cool I'm becoming as a youth pastor? Okay. Also, I realized I learned that this is not the kind of Marco Polo you play in a pool. It's a communication app. Anyway, she sent me a polo, and it moved me deeply, and I asked permission if I could share it this morning. And I want you to listen carefully to these words from a young student, not mine, hers, whose heart breaks for what breaks God's. This sermon is brought to you by Pine Lake Youth, okay? She had been listening to a street preacher near her campus who was not only spewing hatred, but also insults at people as they walked by. And as she shared her reflection about this, she wept over it. And here are some pieces of what she said. It breaks my heart to see the way that he is preaching to these students, because that is not of God. He preaches so much hatred and judgment, and it crushes my heart and soul. So I wrote him a letter about love about speaking truth and love. What this guy preaches is the last thing people need. This is not the way Jesus came. He came to healing and joy and faith and restoration, to elevation of people's giftedness and their personhood. It is hurtful to people, but also hurtful to the message that I want to preach someday. No wonder why students are over this and over Christianity. My body feels sick about it. I want people to fall into the arms of Jesus. I want people to receive healing and experience the joy of Christ. But these words destroy that. I pray the Lord will change his heart. And then she shares the letter that she wrote with me. And I want you to hear this part especially. I have one more word about the character of Christ. I marvel at the humility the all-encompassing, boundary-breaking, life-changing, supernatural love of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What did our Lord do when he was crucified? He was spit upon and whipped and reviled and insulted and humiliated and cast away from his people. He could have gotten revenge, and judgment belongs to him. Instead, he looked to heaven and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And this is the healing spirit of Jesus that the world needs. If Jesus had this much love and grace for his people, then why shouldn't we? Amen. Yes, sister, the heart of God is forgiveness. It is the healing that the world needs. And the Lord gave her the opportunity that very day to deliver that letter to that person. If we've been raised in the church... We may be so used to this moment on the cross, it doesn't even phase us anymore. 
Father, forgive them. Of course he said, Father, forgive them. But really, it should shock the, shock the spit out of us. <laughs> In this moment, would it not be much more likely for Jesus to call down legions of angels to destroy the people killing him? I think of James and John, the sons of thunder, who after being mistreated, asked Jesus, hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on, on these guys? Dia, dia. Like, I just love like, their faith in this moment that they think they can actually just like call down fire from heaven. But that is the way that kind of resonates with me, right? Usually I want to call down fire from heaven on my enemies. I don't necessarily want to call down forgiveness from heaven first. Again, notice the example of Christ. We are called back to the address of the prayer, which is, Father, forgive. Forgiveness, friends, must flow out of our relationship with the Father. We cannot, in our own strength, do this. Now, Cole Arthur Riley, author of Black Liturgies and This Here Flesh, that I highly recommend. It's Black History Month. Pick up this book, please. She writes about forgiveness. You participate in it. It comes from you, but it also is something that happens to you without you necessarily noticing. And I don't think we have so much control over our forgiveness as we think. You can't force hair to grow faster than your body allows, and I think this is okay. No, I love how she writes. It is something that happens to you. On a walk with a Pine Lake Youth student, again, listen to these students, friends. She asked me, do you think you can ever forgive this person, talking about someone in my life, who caused me so much great pain? And my answer was, well, I started with not wanting to call down fire from heaven anymore on this person. (laughs) And it's grown from there. I'm still in it. I know that I cannot accept God's forgiveness for my own sin and not forgive the sin of the other. So yes, it is happening. Forgiveness is happening to me. Forgiveness will flow out of my relationship with the Father. Forgiveness flows out of our relationship with God, from the heart of God. And as we walk with God all day long, maybe we too will be continuously saying, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. So we are invited, friends, to stay the course and remain on the journey of reconciliation. At the Race and Faith Conference that Scott Jones and I attended this weekend, we heard a woman speak about reconciliation. She said, stay long enough in the journey to see the person that they could become. Who is it you need to forgive? And will you stay long enough in the journey to see what can become? Also notice that Jesus prayed to God to be merciful on his enemies when his wounds were still being inflicted upon him. They were still open and he was saying, Father, forgive. Friends, we do not have to wait for complete emotional and psychological healing before we can begin the forgiveness process. That may not even happen this side of heaven. And in fact, our healing may depend on our forgiving. And I know that to be true in my own story. It is happening. Let's talk about the second part where they said they don't know what they do. (laughs) Interesting. As is the Bible. (laughs) It gets you. It reads you. You're like, what is this going on? So Jesus says, forgive them, is dying to forgive them, and gives a reason to his father why he should forgive them. He says, they don't know what they are doing. 
Now, it's hard to think of these people who are killing Jesus as being ignorant in any way, right? Like, all of them are literally killing him. Do they not know what they are doing? All of them are involved in some manner or another in the death of a human being. And some of them knew he was innocent and didn't care. Others suspected they didn't care. Maybe it was mob mentality and they were just silent. Maybe they were all participating in something, but they did not understand the grip of what they weren't understanding the reality of what they were doing. They were in the grip of something they didn't fully understand that they were killing the son of God, right? Isn't this true that the evil that lodges in our own hearts is greater than we know? The harm we cause creates a ripple effect that we do not even foresee. Now, does ignorance qualify for absolution? I got a ticket in the mail. Okay, Issaquah, seriously, do not speed. I'm telling you, I think I've gotten two now. Sorry, Rob. Okay, Issaquah High School, Issaquah Middle School, there's a zone there, and there are there are cameras. Oh, hey, how many of you? Oh, okay, all right. Oh, all of the Pine Lake staff, I see, and others. Okay, all right. So I do not know what happens to me, and I know it's there, but it was in the summer, and there was foliage around the thing that blinks that says 20 miles an hour, right? And so I went by it going like 26. I got a ticket in the mail. Was I ignorant at that point because I just moved here? Yes. But was I excused? No. Did I have to pay? This is just. Jesus forgives them, but justice and judgment did fall. At the same time, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. He was paying the price for that sin. He was shedding his blood in order to do what he was pleading for. Now, we may be ignorant, we may not be, but either way, sin estranges us from God, from one another, and from our true selves as his image bearer. Sin maims and mars and murders his image bearers, and it leads to death. So what is to be done? What is just? Well, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, forgive them as he is paying the price for that plea. I want to look now at the word them. Who did this prayer of forgiveness cover? Who were they whom Jesus prayed for? The soldiers doing their job, the religious leaders that lied and deceived and shamelessly pandered to the crowd, the political authorities that got him there. Were they the military magistrates of Rome? Are they the disciples who are not present at the cross? And it ran off and abandoned him. Now the word them in this context much, must refer to those who are killing him. And by extension to those who are part of the conspiracy or the silence that perpetuated this execution. Um, indeed, silence in the face of injustice is complicity. So these are the ones he's forgiving. Otherwise he would have prayed, Father, forgive this whole world for the evil. So there's specifics here. But friends, does it not also include you and me? We are included in this prayer of forgiveness. Now, why? I wasn't there. I didn't do it. I blame the Pharisees, so right in their rules. I blame Pilate. What a coward. He had the power, and he dodged it. I blame the soldiers, because they could have just said no. I blame the mob for their participation and their silence. I blame the disciples for denying that they knew Jesus. 
oh, but wait, am I so self-righteous? I am a coward, like Pilate, avoiding personal cost to battle oppression and injustice. I participate in systems that center power and perpetuate injustice, even if I know it or not. Does not my own silence make me complicit? I am an accomplice. I hide behind rationalizations all the time. I am not always loyal to Jesus. Which one of these actions do I really think that I am incapable of? Who was actually forgiven by this prayer? The thief next to him hears and believes and is forgiven and saved. The centurion hears, confesses, this is the son of God. And then some days later, 3,000 people hear what happened, what, what, what the crucifixion was, of killing the Son of God, and they were cut to the heart and they repented and believed. They said, what must we do to be saved? Right? We will never know the vast extent to which God answered this prayer, Father forgave them. But it began even before he died. The prayer of forgiveness, friends, was actualized when people received it and embraced it and repented of sins. Jesus' prayer for forgiveness is not just a blanket amnesty. Ignorance is not a substitute for repentance and faith. And so on that note, though, I want to skip now to the next cry from the cross. This is two sermons in one. You get a two for one this morning. Okay? And we've got eight minutes. We're going to do it. Who is the them? Father, forgive them. It includes this thief. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says. Two thieves are hanging on the cross next to Jesus. One is hurling insults, and the other says, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. You can put that scripture up on the screen. Okay? Now this man is experiencing the same cruelty of crucifixion as he hangs there next to Jesus. And he hears Jesus' laborious breathing and he sees blood draining out of his body. And he hears Jesus say over and over and over again, Father, forgive them. And we can only imagine how this gracious prayer differed from the ugly cursing and hatred that was spewing from their own mouths, right? I wonder what a jolting experience it was to hear that. Heads turn, eyes turn toward this man. What kind of person says this from a cross? Oh, the impact that must have had on that man. Now, Jesus assures this man of his salvation, but notice this is offered to the thief in response to his confession of faith. First, he confesses his own sin, right? He says, we indeed have been condemned justly. He confesses his sin. Second, he confesses Jesus' righteousness and the injustice done to, this inno to his innocence. Third, he confesses a fear of God. Do you not fear God? He says to his friend. And fourth, he offers a statement of belief. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Don't miss that. Jesus is dying next to him. He hears him dying, yet he believes that somehow Jesus will be a king 
with a kingdom. That is remarkable faith. Remarkable faith to say in that moment, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man expressed true confession and repentance and belief and Jesus and says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. And so the off, the, the words father forgive them extends to him too. Now a redeemed man, instead of hell, he finds himself unexpectedly, undeservedly, delightfully in paradise with Jesus hours later. And does that not define the essence of salvation? Being with Jesus. It is relational. Yes, heaven is a place. And Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. But at its heart is a reconciled relationship with God. Today you will be with me. With me. These words of Jesus from the cross strip salvation to its bare bones. It is confession of sin coupled with total reliance on the grace of God and his forgiveness. Nothing more, nothing less. No additives, no extra laws. God is not a loan shark. He didn't put the thief on a forgiveness payback program. He didn't charge interest. Forgiveness was free, it was not earned. And it is a gift to be received by faith. Yes. So the first cry from the cross, friends, Father, forgive them. It is a cry of pardon. Do we hear it? Do we receive it? Will it change us? Do we gratefully accept this forgiveness but refuse to forgive others? Is forgiveness happening to us? Is it flowing from your relationship with your Father in heaven whose heart beats, I forgive, I forgive? What does it look like for you to enter this story of forgiveness today? Because I know you're thinking of something. I am too. What does it look like for you to let forgiveness happen to you from the heart of the Father? The second cry, today you will be with me in paradise, is an assurance of salvation. Do we know today, do you know today, with the same certainty as the thief, our eternal destiny? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life and will not perish. In this, we too, when we wake up from death, will find ourselves undeservedly, delightfully with Jesus. Salvation is lavishly given, received in confession, repentance, and faith. Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me. Forgiveness of sins is given and salvation is assured. Friends, in these last two statements from the cross, Jesus is winning epic battles against sin and death, against evil. In our imaginary stories also, the rescuers uh, are one. The, Nar- the Narnian witch dies. The ring is destroyed. Saruman is extinguished. Vader's galactic empire was crushed. Voldemort loses. Thanos turns to dust. And in this real true story at the cross, the battle against evil prevails. 
Sin is paid for. Life with God and forgiveness is offered to all. And we don't have to imagine ourselves in this story. We are in it. We are, in fact, the ones who have been rescued. Will you pray with me? Holy God, oh, we love you. We give you all our praise, God. What can we give back to you? You have saved us. You have saved us and you have claimed us and you have assured us of salvation. You have, you have brought us to life, God, by giving us your life. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for teaching us what forgiveness is. We thank you for breathing it out on your last words on the cross. Father, forgive. Father, forgive. God, may we have the same heart as you do, God, that we forgive and forgive and forgive all day long, all our life. God, for we have been forgiven of much. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace and thank you for mercy. We confess that we have all kinds of additives that we add on to salvation, ways we think we have to earn this. But God, we come to you and we receive this gift that you have given to us. We also know that it took your life to do so. We praise you, God, and we thank you and we receive this this day. Friends, if you are in this place in your life and you're like, I do not know if I can say with surety that I... We'll be with Jesus in paradise. I don't know this assurance of faith, but this is the time in your life where you're like, I want to accept this gift. I want to know Jesus and be with God and come back to the heart of the Father. Then I invite you to come and pray. We have people ready to pray with you in the back. Lord, thank you for leading us, Jesus, to the cross this day as we prepare for Easter. Thank you for rescuing us. We give you glory and honor and praise. In your name, Jesus. Amen.